This Bee Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. Loved and trusted by more than 1 million teachers, IXL enhances your teaching and takes work off your plate, so you can make an even bigger impact on your students. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K through 12th grade curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable real-time insights. Strengthen daily instruction, close knowledge gaps quickly, and set every student up for success. If you want to bring IXL to your school, you can learn more at IXL.com backslash B-E. That's IXL.com backslash B-E. We're proud to be sponsored by MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Schools can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, activity periods, RTI, therapy, and teacher appointments, and much more. With its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com backslash BE to learn more and receive $500 off the first year. That's myflexlearning.com backslash BE. This is Dr. Karen, and this is the Are They 18 Yet podcast, where I help parents raise independent, self-sufficient kids without sacrificing their own identity and sense of purpose. I'm here to share practical day-to-day solutions for raising kind, successful, well-adjusted human beings, and actionable advice for supporting systemic changes so we can make this world a more inclusive, accepting place now and for future generations. It's Dr. Karen, and welcome to episode 55 of the Are They 18 Yet podcast. I am super excited to share this interview with Kim Duckworth from Bridge Education Center. Kim currently does coaching for middle school through high school students to prepare them for life after high school. This interview focuses mostly on what we need to do to prepare kids for college and the whole college application process, but she also works with kids to just expand their options after high school and consider all of the possibilities based on their strengths and interests. So it's a really great interview because I get a lot of input from practitioners and professionals who are working with kids from kindergarten through 12th grade. But Kim shares a unique perspective because she is really taking kids to that next step and really seeing where kids are as they're preparing for life after high school. And I think that a lot of my audience, whether you are a teacher, a speech pathologist, a parent, and you want to know, am I doing the right things now to prepare my child for adulthood? Well, we answer a lot of those questions in this interview. So we really focus a lot on what 
we need to do now if your child is going to be thinking about college after high school. Obviously, there are a lot of other things that you can do besides go to college after high school, but it is a very academic-focused discussion. But really the thing that I took away is that we want to give our kids as many options as possible, regardless of what they choose to do after they graduate from high school. So we get into a great discussion, and I learned a lot of valuable information from this interview, and I know that you will as well. We do talk a lot about reading and vocabulary, so I wanted to share a quick resource before we get started. So Kim in this interview talks a lot about the importance of reading in the development of vocabulary, but as you may already know, if you've listened to some of my previous episodes, part of vocabulary is helping kids to build the grammar and sentence structure skills that they need in order to have solid comprehension. And if you have a child who doesn't have a solid sense of sentence structure, that can really impact their ability to comprehend what they read, as well as to write clear, complete essays, academic papers, and other things that they might need to be writing. So I wanted to share my ultimate guide to sentence structure that really outlines some of the key sentence types that tend to be difficult for kids. To grab that ultimate guide to sentence structure, just go to drkarenspeech.com backslash sentence structure. Again, that's drkarenspeech.com backslash sentence structure. And now, please enjoy this interview with Kim Duckworth. Today, I am joined by Kim Duckworth from Bridge Education Center. So thank you so much for being here with me today. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for having me on. So I thought we would start off because you have quite an interesting background from your childhood all the way through what you're doing now. So can you just give a little bit of history about where you came from and what you do now? Absolutely. Uh, I'm going to start with today. Um, I'm a new author. Uh, I've written a book that just came out last month called Parents, Are You Ready? It's a practical guide for launching a successful high school student. Very, very excited to be able to say that I am an author. Uh, I, uh, for the past uh, 15 years, I've actually been a college admissions coach. Uh, It's also called an independent educational consultant. Um, and I'm a member of the National Association of College Admissions Counseling. And my husband and I owned and managed a Scottsdale Education Center. Uh, and that all grew from a place where education has always been just very, very important. I was the first woman in my family to actually graduate from high school, uh, let alone attend or graduate from college. I did get my bachelor's in communications journalism from Stanford University long time ago now. Um, But it was a way education has always been, for me, was a way of getting out of what at the time was a a very difficult family situation. Mm -hmm. I have uh, three grown daughters, amazing uh, daughters, and I'm also a grandparent now. I have three grandchildren. Um, And before that, I had kind of an interesting uh, career with IBM. I worked for about 11 years in uh, sales and marketing management, both in Silicon Valley and in White Plains, New York. So what do you do now? What do I do now for work? Well, I'm writing, and I'm also uh, what's called a college admissions coach. 
I help students, I work with students and help them not only get through high school, but get into college. So I'll work with a student uh, selecting colleges that might fit their interest areas, uh, help them with their essays, help them uh, with their interviewing skills, uh, just help them with their timeline, help them build their high school resume so that they can have lots of options when they do graduate from high school. I like that idea of options because, so I don't know if you have noticed, and this is, you know, being kind of in some of the entrepreneur groups, it seems like sometimes people kind of go away from the idea of a formal education. And I have always just been of the mindset that why, why don't we just keep as many possible options available as we can for our kids? Because Yes, not everyone should go to college. There are a lot of other things you can do besides college, but I always thought, why not keep your options open? You know, absolutely. I agree with you 300%. Um, In fact, I'm kind of one of those planners that we have plan A, we have plan B, and we have plan C. And in life, we always know sometimes plan A doesn't work out. Mm -hmm. Um, But having multiple options and directions that you can go, I think is, is very important for a high school student. Yeah. And I noticed, so in your book, I had the opportunity to read it earlier this week. I really enjoyed it. And you do talk a lot about college and there were a lot of examples in there of kids who got into Ivy League schools, but what are some other options? So obviously there's there's college and what are some other options that you would coat students through? Sure, absolutely. And within college, community college can be a great place for some students that maybe aren't quite ready for that four-year university place yet. Um, So I've worked with several students in community college. Um, Some students are interested more in a technical route. They want to go through a a technical school process. Um, Absolutely uh, can be an amazing option. Um, Another option might be military service. I've worked with several students that have gone into the military. Um, Another option uh, you hear a lot about right now, some students, especially because of COVID, have opted for what they call a gap year, Mm -hmm. uh, where they go out and learn some life skills or involved in a research project, uh, do something they've always wanted to do as kind of an in-between before they start into that college process. Uh, So those are a lot of different places that um, a student that's graduating in high school can, can look at and evaluate. Yeah. And some students just go and they do get jobs. I mean, that is an, another place some students will just go out and want to work right away. Mm-hmm. I'm curious about the gap year because I'm sure that there is a right and a wrong way to handle your gap year. Have you seen people that want to pursue that option that have kind of an, uh, an inaccurate idea of what that should look like? Uh, that's a really good question. Some, And I've worked with some students that needed that gap year to build a financial base to then be mm-hmm. able to go to even just a community college or to a four-year school. Um, but you have to keep moving forward. You yeah. have to keep growing. Um, and it has to be, I would say, a learning experience. I One of the things that I think is really prized by those college admissions, if, it, if college would be the next place they would go, uh, for a college admissions counselor is a just an academic curiosity and vitality and just interest in knowledge. Um, So hopefully during that gap year, they have a a chance to continue to grow in their academic world and their, their brain space continues to grow. 
Something that I thought was interesting that you brought up in your book about the gap year, as far as things that you want to be aware of. I know that you mentioned that some kids, they might, you know, they might be in math in high school and then they have a year off or they might be taking literature and doing a lot of writing and have good practice with those writing skills. What are some things that students should look out for in that gap year to make sure that they don't get rusty? Really great um, question. Um, Certainly anything that builds uh, as in college, they might be in a, if they were as an example, in an engineering program where they would need to have sharp math skills. If you haven't done anything with math for a year, you might be a little rusty then for that freshman year of college. Uh, So it is important if you are going to take a gap year, if you have kind of an idea of an area of interest, that you would keep those math skills sharp or that you would continue even though you're in a gap year with some kind of online study uh, in math. Another area I see some problems is also um, foreign languages. Mm. Um, If you're not, if you're interested in being uh, a linguist or studying a foreign language and then you stop using that language for a year during your gap year, uh, that can cause some problems. Some students will go into an immersion program for a year and for their gap year will actually go to the country uh, that speaks the language that they might be interested in studying for in college. That's could be a great, could be a great year of for that gap year. Um, the other one we see is um, again in an engineering program, uh, physics. You want to keep all those physics concepts really fresh and current. Uh, we I worked with one large uh, high school where they had really encouraged students to take their physics class as a freshman, um, and then the students didn't really have uh, physics again. If they were entering into an engineering program in college, it would have been four years. And it's a uh, the class was more a conceptual physics class rather than an applied physics class. So when those students uh, then started to apply to engineering programs and actually started the program, uh, they really struggled. In those classes that have some building, which many of them do, um, you need to keep those skills current if you're going to take it back here. Yeah, that makes sense. That would be really interesting to go and do an immersion program for a foreign language. I think that's a good example of how you could be productive good, during that year. <laughs> a good gap year. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I wanted to segue because a lot of my listeners are working with kids K through 12, and a lot of them want to know okay, what should I be doing now to prepare my kids or my students or clients for the future? And something that really stood out from your book was a couple of things. Number one, the importance of reading and building vocabulary. And then second, the the idea of having really clear boundaries around things like social media and gaming and device use in general. So I wanted to talk a little bit about the reading and vocabulary first, because something that really stood out that I thought was really interesting is that you said that when you work with a kid who is in middle school or high school, you can tell which kids have been reading on their own and which kids haven't. So how, how can you tell? Well, one of the things, uh, well, a lot of times I ask, I just, are you a reader? Um, And I do get I get sad when the student uh, says, no, no, I don't read. 
um, because not only because I know what it's going to do to impact their academic future, but just their their life ceilings. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you do have to read, and the word is not skim; it's read. They they've got to be readers. In fact, I would say that would be kind of a red flag if you have a middle school student and you don't see them reading at home if they're not getting reading assignments. If they're not getting, they're not reading in the summertime. They, the middle school, that sixth, seventh, eighth grade years. That's the beginning. That's kind of the beginning of the runway uh, to to take them off for a successful high school and then even college experience. So that the reading part to me is very important. As a family, we used to have a uh, a family book club where each child got to select a book for us to read. We would have eight weeks to get through the book, but we would all read it and then we would discuss the book. Um, So if they're not getting those assignments from school, you can still do that as a parent. You can Mm -hmm. still have some reading requirements at home. Um, Another one of kind of the red flags I would see was um, uh, when middle schools maybe didn't assign any homework. Uh, and that was because uh, I found that those students, our experience was that those students then would end up behind some of their counterparts where the middle schools were assigning homework. Um, and everybody knows homework is practice. Um, as an, an, Can you imagine an athlete not going to practice or a musician not going to practice? You have to practice something to get better at it. So that practice piece in middle school, just understanding that and learning that. And kind of the average is one hour of homework per night, five days a week for a middle school student to kind of be on their game to get ready to go into that that high school world. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other thing, and you mentioned it, social media. And, and in the book, we I do have some contracts for things like cell phone use um, that you and your your child can enter into, social media use. And then when they get a little over older, that driving um, piece. Um, uh, but if they're so involved in their their video games or social media or even TV feeds um, that they they're not curious about the other pieces of the world around them, um, that's also kind of a I would say a red flag. Um, we want our students, we want our children to be curious. Uh, so those those are kind of some of the red flags I would see kind of in in middle school. Uh, but reading is is huge. Um, another thing we used to do at our center is for middle school students to just get an idea of assessment. Where are they compared to their peers? Um, they may be getting A's in their class, but how does that compare to another school, another student getting an A in another class in another school or even at that same school? Mm-hmm. So we did a lot of assessments. Um, and one that I loved for middle school students Uh, is actually called the high school placement test. Um, And it's used for placement into, often it's Catholic high schools, but it's a great uh, place to kind of see, how does my high school student compare to, or middle school student compare to other middle school students? And there's three of the five pieces of that particular assessment um, is uh, in that kind of reading, writing vocabulary area. And it was always very enlightening for students or for students and for parents to have the student take those tests and see how they did. And we would frequently get students that were only able to complete maybe in the 30 to 40% of the test. 
um, with mm. the time constraints they were given and just with their background knowledge from middle school. So that was always a will. And we loved giving those assessments to really give the parents and the students an idea of where they sit on a more nationalized basis uh, in terms of their uh, middle school skill set. Where would a parent go to get access to that? Yeah, it's uh, the the test itself is actually it's been around for a while. Uh, it's from the Scholastic Testing Services Incorporated, and you can find uh, books if you uh, if you wanted to go the book route that have test examples in them. Um, can uh, certainly find them online at, as well. Um, the test itself is the full test is about two hours and 45 minutes. A lot of times students have never had to sit that long for that long and take a test. So that was always, usually students will take it in around the January timeframe of their eighth grade year. Um, it has about 300 questions. It's all multiple choice. Um, and it's an average test score. Uh, it's kind of like those SAT scores. Mm-hmm. It's anywhere from a 200 to an 800, 500 is about an average score. But it's, uh, the they have a, as an example, one of the very first sections is a verbal section. Um, and it has about 60 questions. And the students have 16 minutes to answer 60 questions that deal with acronyms, just kind of logic skills, anonyms, synonyms, um, just definition, word definitions. Um, and That one is always very, very interesting for the parents to see uh, the answers that the students come up with, because they often think a student knows the definition of words that they may not know. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's that's always kind of been an eye opener for uh, parents, that particular section. There's also a reading section, um, 60, about 62 questions, about 25 minutes. Uh, and again, it's uh, how do you read a, you know, how do you read a paragraph, underlining, um, how do you go back into text and, and find the answers? Uh, so that's interesting. And at the very end, there's also another section, language-based, uh, about 60 questions, but it's more the punctuation, spelling, capitalizations, and they have about 25 minutes to finish that section. Um, but all three of those, usually the parents are just they're very surprised um, that perhaps their their children don't know the answers to, to some of the questions on the test. Um, there's uh, my two favorite sources for that test. One, there's a book out by Barron's. Um, it's a little bit maybe harder than the test itself. It has more of the hard questions from the HSPT test. Um, but I always want to aim high. Let's get through those harder questions. Yeah. Um, and then also, um, just like I said, online, any any books that you would find from the Scholastic Testing Services organization, they're the test writers, so they know exactly what is on the test. Mm-hmm. So those would be really good sources if you think you have a child who is definitely wanting to be college bound or even is considering it as a possibility. Absolutely. Another thing we used to do at the center that was always very eye-opening for students and for parents um, was to give the student a prompt um, and it could something that they could comfortably write about. Uh, tell me a story about your, um, your pet, if they had a pet, or tell me uh, something about uh, the person you admire the most and why. Um, and just have them write with a beginning, middle, and end um, give them 15 to 20 minutes to write their story, um, tell them to use their best eighth grade language and vocabulary skills, and just let them write. And 
oftentimes the parents um, were very surprised at the writing level. Um, mm-hmm. And it's apparent, you can tell there's, you know, you know, the just basics of grammar, basics of vocabulary, you get a feel for what kind of level that essay has been written to. Um, and it was always, again, very, very much an eye opener for, for parents. With writing, what kinds of issues do you see in kids who might need to strengthen their skills in that area? The thing I was always most amazed at was vocabulary. Mm-hmm. Um, I would, uh, I always tell my, even my high school seniors when they're writing college admissions essays, I ban four letter words, basically meaning no nice, kind, good. Um, want to see those just words that are a little more descriptive mm-hmm. um, that can really help them communicate their story to the reader. So the vocabulary probably was the biggest thing um, that I was kind of amazed at. And you grow your vocabulary. Um, and but one of the ways you can do that is by reading. Yep, um, absolutely. They, they need to, to read and see those words. The other thing we were really surprised at, just from a reading standpoint, and I'm a big reader, I'm a big proponent of reading, but the one thing that surprised me, even in high school, at juniors in high school, um, would uh, they would have teachers reading books to them in the classroom rather than assigning reading for the children to do at home. And I know the teachers thought that was a way, at least they were sure that students had, had quote unquote, read the book, but there is a value to the student reading that book themselves. Mm -hmm. Uh, We were really surprised that that was still being done for juniors in high school. So just the act of reading, I think uh, is something that needs focus in middle school and, and high school. Yeah, I agree. And I know that a lot of times, so with some of the clients that I work with, I say that's fine as a supplement. An audiobook right. is fine. Uh, having someone read with you and read to you is fine, but it's not the same as reading to yourself because then you're, what you're practicing is listening comprehension, not reading comprehension. They're both good skills, but it's not the same. So, you know, I know a lot of times it's it's helpful for kids who don't have the reading skills to be able to read texts that have the harder vocabulary, but it doesn't mean that you don't work on it. Exactly, exactly. Um, there's also another just kind of trick, interesting thing for parents to do is uh, when you're driving, if you're driving your student to school or to practice or um, wherever you might have them in the car, just have them read. A, yeah. a news a news feed to you and hear the words that they're stumbling over or hear the words that they don't know. Talk about those words. Um, National Geographic actually has some interesting news feeds sometimes that are can can be read by uh, sixth, seventh, and eighth graders. But just um, to just that process of reading to you uh, is also sometimes again just eye opening for parents. Yeah. Oh yeah, and. Even just pronunciation of words. Yes. And that is, it's part of vocabulary, knowing how to say it the right way. <laughs> uh, 
Absolutely. Absolutely. But that is one of, I just reading in general um, for preparation for middle school, high school, and in college, you are going to do a lot of reading. Uh, And it's, if you don't do the reading, you're not going to do well in the classes they have in college. Mm -hmm. So it's, you got to get the engine going Mm -hmm. to be able to handle the reading workloads you're going to find uh, once you get to college. Yeah. I agree. This is, you know, and this is what teachers do recommend reading in the early grades, but Mm -hmm. um, sometimes it it does. And honestly, a lot of schools are really going away from homework. And I don't know that it's a district-wide thing where it's, if the district is a K-12 district, they don't give a lot of homework in in, uh, in high school. But then I wonder, well, those kids have to go to college and, and how does that work? So I'm always curious about that. How do you handle it when, because so the, the districts in, in the area where I live, the one that I used to work at and the one that my stepdaughter goes to, they are doing away with letter grades and they're doing the standards-based mm-hmm. grading system where usually sometimes in the early grade is just kind of a pass-fail sort of thing. They have this system of, I think a one is your, you know, you need work, a two is um, you need you need some work, but you're starting to gain mastery. Three is you're good. Um, like you want to get threes, and then four is above average, outstanding. It people still kind of think of them as the letter grades, but mm-hmm. it's a little bit unclear. So how would you handle that sort of situation if if a child had that kind of grading system and they wanted to apply to college? If that's a, a great question. So one of the things that uh, your high school counselor will do when, when you're applying to college is they, uh, they will include a, what's called a school profile mm-hmm. that explains the grading system to that college admissions uh, person. So this, the person, the school that they're applying to will get uh, some background on what all of those one, two, three, four, fives might mm-hmm. might mean. Um, there are some uh, schools that go all the way through sevens. There are some schools that, you know, like you said, are more on a pass fail. There are some that are still with the more traditional A, B, C, D, uh, F kind of grades. So the college admissions counselors, though, get that from the high school counselors. So they know what the grading scale is for those students. That's good. So that's definitely something you've seen before. Absolutely. On just regular basis, that's just part of that application process. And the other thing they'll, they'll include is things too, like in that school profile, uh, how many advanced placement co- uh, classes were offered, if any, um, uh, where that's, that school kind of ranks within the state. Uh, any special advanced programs uh, that the school may have, like an international baccalaureate program or um, a special school magnet program for math and science. Um, so that information is given to those college admissions counselors so they, they know um, a little bit of a background on the, the school, the high school that the students applying from. Yeah, that's good to know. So I wanted to segue a little bit and talk about device use and then also just the idea of finding, helping your child find their superpower. So something that I thought was really interesting, um, and I 
I hear objections all the time to the idea of putting boundaries around device use and social media. And I'm curious if you hear some of the same things that I do. So I'm just going to throw some things out there. And, and I'm, I'm curious how you respond to some of these things that people might say. So the first thing is um, what, something that comes up a lot is, well, that's how kids are socializing now. They're on Snapchat, they're on Instagram, they're texting. So if I don't let my child have their phone, uh, they're going to be left out and not able to socialize. Have you heard that? And what? how would you handle that situation? That's a great question. Um, and I I will say I'm I'm feel very fortunate that my daughters are a little bit older, so we didn't have to go through some of those discussions quite as much as I would have if they were in school today. But um, I think it's all, everything's in moderation, right? Mm -hmm. So um, you need some confines, I think, on how much socialization you're going to be doing. Um, so I think having, having limits, I, the big thing I think, if there would be one thing that I saw um, that uh, pa parents of successful high school students uh, did, um, it was to really develop what I want to call an action or lack of action consequence kind of profile. So uh, they understood if I do this, this is the consequence. Um, and they, that starts at a fairly young age. It starts in middle school. Actually, you know, most students even in elementary school understand the idea of Santa's naughty list um, and good list. And if you're on the naughty list, here's the consequence. And here, if you're on the good list, here's the consequence. So that action consequence uh, profile can start even at an elementary level. But I think as they are able to use more advanced tools, whether that be a car or a cell phone or social media, um, they just they need some help and direction. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, to me, that having them know and understand those limits and understand moderation and understand uh, action consequence is an important thing for children to start to be developing. They say students don't reach their full rational brain until they're really in their mid-20s. Mm -hmm. So they need help to develop that along the way. And just being able to push back against negative influence um, and find out who they are. Uh, there just needs to be limits. And we are, as parents, um, we're, that's one of the things that we're uh, tasked to do, I think, is to help them set those limits. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And, um, and that's something that's come up a lot with some of my other guests and some of the information that I have just talked about on here with we're talking about executive functioning and yep. problem solving. I mean, you're the part of your brain that does those things isn't developed until your early twenties, as you mm -hmm. said. So hopefully, hopefully they get it by their middle or their middle. Right. And yes, obviously, if you have if you have ADHD, that is something that you're going to be continually working on, you know, through your life. And doesn't mean that you can't be successful. It's just that you know that you might need some structure and boundaries. And, you know, obviously if there's some kind of a diagnosis that's going to impact, but again, you still develop the skills, but something that I thought was really interesting. And uh, I know that people are going to a lot of people are going to disagree with this is just that in that social media contract, you had that, that kids understand that a parent can do an audit or look at their phone at any time. 
And I know that some people would say, oh, that's a violation of their privacy. And But I think that people don't realize that if you have a child, again, a teenager is still a child. Their brain is not fully developed yet. They still very much need to be parented. Obviously, it looks different than a, a younger child. But but just the idea that those interactions still need to be supervised. They're still having an interaction with someone, even though it's it's on their phone and they can literally interact with anybody. You don't you might not know what they're doing. So I I liked that that was in there. I know that a lot of people would disagree and say that's, you know, I mean, it's not like I think it would be different if you were reading their diary or something like that, because that's just something private to them that no one else should be looking at. But it's different when people can contact them from all over the world. (laughs) Right. Well, and a diary is just them that's, uh, you know, just limited. And like you said, the rest is the rest of the world. The other thing I think um, there needs to be uh, a trust that that's built over time. Um, And and I think uh, you have to have, I think that the child has to understand that action consequence uh, equation Mm -hmm. uh, and that they need to build trust with uh, certainly with their family. Uh, And I do think it's something that, especially when they're younger, some teenagers, 13, um, aren't completely able to regulate themselves yet. Right. So I think it's it's a I think it's a job as a parent uh, that we have to do sometimes. And, and I say this in the book, too. Uh, sometimes we're we don't get to be just a friend. We, we have to be a parent. Yeah. And that comes with so many more responsibilities. Um, the word is actually interesting. The word parent comes from a Latin word, root word meaning to bring forth. In many ways, I think that's a very, it's a very valiant, exacting, exhausting uh, job description. Um, and yeah. so we, uh, we're tasked with bringing forth the best from that child. Um, and they need direction. They need, they need help in the beginning. And mm-hmm. um, uh, I, live in Arizona and we have a lot of quail called gambrel quail. And I'll often see uh, quail families in the neighborhood and there's a parent in the lead and there's usually a parent at the end and could be as many as 20 in between, but there's a parent leading. Um, And if you were to just let those chicks go, they would end up in rattlesnake holes. They'd end up in a coyote den. They they don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. So I think as parents, we, we need to lead. And to help them understand where some of those rattlesnake holes are in life. And it's sometimes it's not easy, but I think that's our job. Yeah. I mean, I think that some of these apps that kids are on and the parents not on there and they don't know what they don't know what. Yeah. Like TikTok. I'm I'm technically on TikTok, but I don't go on it very often. So I don't always know. And, And again, with the algorithms and it'll they'll click on something and it'll memorize their history and then more videos will come up. And I had a conversation, it was a while back actually, but about skincare products. It was, well, this this is dermatologist recommended. Well, did you talk to a dermatologist that recommended it or did a TikToker (laughs) tell you that it was dermatologist recommended? Because that's not the same thing. Um, And I think that talking through those things, like where did you get your information? Because these these internet influencers, they're called influencers for a reason because they know how to build trust, you know, good for them, but they're also, some of them are, are 
kids as well. And they're oftentimes getting paid for it too, which can change their loyalties a little bit. So uh, no, I I agree. It's a very dangerous world out there. Mm-hmm. Um, in that in that world of social media. And again, I think as parents, we're just tasked to set some of those band- boundaries. Yeah, absolutely. So another thing that I have heard, and um, so this is this is about gaming, which mm-hmm. I um so when I was when I was growing up, it was Nintendo, you know, old school Super yeah. Mario Brothers and yes. Duck Hunt and Frogger and all of those. So I really wanted a Nintendo. I was in grade school and my parents said no, because we were in all sorts of sports. My mom was always driving us to stuff. They took us on vacations. We did all of these things. It's not like I was deprived because I didn't have video games, but but my parents just said, no, you have so many other things that you're doing. You don't need to be doing that. And I, I did get to play it when I would go to a friend's house. But looking back, I'm just really glad that they did that because I don't think I missed out on anything. And I think that I just got such a better experience that I got to do all the other things. And so I'm just glad that they set that boundary. And actually, they with my brother, they said, fine, you can have a PlayStation, but you have to pay for it. You have to figure out how to play how to get the money. So he sold his beanie babies. He went to one of those baseball card stores and he sold his beanie babies to get the money for the PlayStation. You know, we played, we were in sports and all kinds of things. So he didn't play it that often. So there were boundaries around it, but I'm just, I'm just glad that they did that (laughs) and they didn't just give us free reign. Absolutely. Very honestly, I think real life is so much more interesting than a video game. I know. I get um, bored. I don't yeah, get ab- Absolutely. Go outside, you know, just be involved in sports. I guess read a book. There's just so many, to, for me or to me at least, there are so many more interesting things that, that, you, can, that you can do. And again, it's that moderation thing. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, just ev- everything in, in kind of in moderation. I did work with one young gentleman who was addicted um, to video games. His father had passed away while he was uh, in ninth grade and he became addicted to video games. And uh, mother, to her credit, actually got him into uh, a kind of a wilderness camp uh, that helped him break that addiction. Uh, And he actually wrote his uh, college application essay on the nickname he was given while he was in his wilderness camp. And uh, his nickname actually was White Bamboo. And uh, he flexed strong, but flexible. Um, But just a really interesting young man. And he would tell, he told me, and this was again a few years after he had gone through the process, um, but that he did feel like he had wasted time um, and that, that it was just so much more interesting to be engaged in life. So is he to the point, does he not play them at all? Is is it like a like some people who have to just completely abstain? Is that how um, it was? When I was working with him as a senior in high school, he had stopped. He had completely okay. so he didn't stop. It. it was just not something it was just not something that he um could could or even wanted to participate in anymore. That's interesting. Cause I hear a lot of different things, like one of the things that I hear is that uh, number one, I hear people say, well, they're socializing, they're making friends, they're building language skills. So I've heard that as well. And then I also have heard the idea that, well, you know, this is this is my talent. This is what I'm good at. So what, what do you usually 
recommend? And how do you handle those conversations when people say things like that? Um, well, it is interesting. If you look at the statistics about the number of people that play video games and the number of people that actually go on to be uh, a professional video game player, uh, the statistics are very, very, very scary. Um, yeah. So um, it's if if you're doing it for fun and doing it from within for moder- within moderation or with moderation, I think it's uh, it's something that can be done. This young man that I worked with before was truly addicted. Yeah. Like he could be addicted to drugs or could, it was a, a serious problem for him. Um, but again, we're, we are social beings. You learn so much more when you're looking at someone's eyes when you're talking to them. Uh, there are a lot of social cues that you get when you're yeah. actually dealing with a person rather than a screen. Yep. Um, and there's skills too that will help you later in life, um, in in business, um, in you know whatever uh, trade you end up going into. So I, there are skills that I think you need to develop um, with uh, with a real life person. Um, that can be very helpful. The other thing that's very interesting, just over time, I've done a lot of work with interviewing with students. Some students have to interview for college, for jobs, some interview for scholarships, and uh, some students, and it seems like it's gotten worse over time. um, They have a hard time just having a conversation with you, uh, with just looking, looking you in the eye and talking to you. Uh, And so it's, there are, there are skills I think you need to build to just be a part of humanity that are beyond just a video screen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Some of my, my listeners might be working with people who are autistic and an eye contact is, tends to be difficult for some of them and it, it can be overstimulating, but there's still a way that you can teach them to engage and have a conversation. I mean, even if it's just what, like I always say, if they're having a hard time with, with something, just let the person know, say, Hey, you know, I, I don't always make eye contact because, you know, it's, I find it overstimulating or something like that. Like just teaching kids to advocate for themselves and communicate. Cause that could be part of their story as well. And, and so just understanding, I think that regardless of, of where, you know, where you're coming from and whatever your neurological profile is, just understanding what is going to be expected when you go into these situations so that you can figure out a way to navigate it in a way that, you know, works for you, but also is going to, you know, make sense for that, for that situation as well. Um, Absolutely. Some of my very favorite students to work with at our center were the students that were um, had Asperger's, were on that autistic spectrum, mm-hmm. um, and they were just so straightforward, and they they were they were really wonderful to to work. Um, really enjoyed working with them. Um, another thing as a parent that you can do that's also very kind of eye opening if you have a child that's a little bit older, that's in high school, maybe is a, a junior um, or early senior in in high school, just ask them. It's a, it sounds like a very easy answer a question for someone to answer but just ask them tell me about yourself mm-hmm. which is a lot of times the kind of that first question that gets asked in an interview and um I've had some uh, very surprising answers to that question from students um, and it's often a question that is very is fumbled just 
dropped on the floor. And it's uh, the, the first question that they're asked in an interview. So, um, but just ask your, t- your high school student to, to tell you about themselves, give you yeah. a, a elevator pitch on, you know, on, on themselves. And it, it, you get some very interesting answers. What kinds of answers do you typically get uh, to kids that might not be prepared to answer that? Uh, first it's the deer in the headlights look in their eyes. You can just see it. Um, and, uh, they generally tend to very much underestimate who they are and what they've done. Um, and they, a lot of times are very shy on detail. They don't, they won't tell you a lot. I worked with one young man. He has ended up getting an acceptance, um, to a service academy. He's going to be attending West Point. Um, a wonderful young man, but we were doing some interview prep. And the first time I asked him that question, he basically said, um, hello, my name is Joe. I go to this school and I play baseball. And that was his answer to that question. And we stopped, time out. We, we worked on, uh, you know, just giving a little more, uh, putting, putting a little more flesh on the bones um, and telling telling them a little bit more about your not only your academic status but um, you know your what you've done for leadership and maybe some awards you've won and your community service activities and um, just telling a lot more about themselves. The other thing I find many parents are very very good about keeping their children humble, and that's a wonderful um, skill or a characteristic to have. Except when you're going through that interview process or that college admissions process, if you don't tell the people, they're not going to know. And I, I find myself often giving those students, I'm giving you permission to brag. Now is the time. You know, you have to tell them about yourself because they, they may not really know who you are unless you tell them. Yeah, I mean, I didn't have to do any interviews for the college that I attended. And then when I got my first job, speech pathologists were so in demand and, and uh, it wasn't, you know, there were a lot of positions open. And so I didn't really have to think about my interviewing skills. And then when I went back and was, you know, I had my doctorate and I was looking for higher ed and it was a lot more competitive. And I, you know, again, that was when I was in my thirties and I, I wish that I would have been working on those skills the whole time. Nobody ever really sat me down and showed me how to do it. And being able to sell yourself that elevator pitch, that elevator pitch. And to be able to be able to do that as a high school, and while you're in high school, you do have to first kind of know who you are. Yeah. That's kind of part of that high school experience is finding out who you are and finding out what your, you had mentioned superpower powers, finding out what your superpower is. Um, and I will also say, I, you'd mentioned um, ADD, ADHD, that can actually be a superpower um, for yeah. some students. Mm-hmm. So um, it's seeing it in a little different light, being able to couch it in a little different way. Um, but the first thing those students have to do is, is find out who they are. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the things that the strategies that would work for somebody, so in elementary school, for example, you know, creating some structure in your environment and setting up external accountability. So things that somebody without ADHD might be able to get away with not doing as much, you need to do that sooner with with someone with ADHD. And so then... Mm -hmm. In theory, you could have some of that in place by the time they get to college. And so they already know 
you know, how they work the best. So in a way it can, it can be a catalyst for you putting some things in place that sooner than, than you normally would have. That's, that's one benefit that I've seen um, that I've worked with just having that awareness. Well, and you know, the other thing, I think the if there were one singular problem that I saw with students, students who were really struggling in high school, um, certainly with their academics, I'll be working with a student and I'd see lots of missing assignments in their um, on, in their background, uh, and would ask them, "Well, do you use a planner?" Mm-hmm. And inevitably they would say yes, and I said would then follow up with, "But do you use it every day?" And oftentimes that answer was no. And I knew because they had missing assignments that there was no way they were using that planner, at least effectively. Um, but there's a there's definitely kind of a transition between going from middle school and um, having a planner where the teacher is telling you every day what to put in your planner to high school where there's so many things going on. You've got to have a planner um, and you've got to have not only your academic things on that planner, but your outside activities on that planner as well. Um, but just using it every day, but not having the teacher tell you what to put in the planner. You know, you've got to evolve that. And then just even a further step then when you when you get into to college, um, but that planner development piece is also something easier for some students than others, but is an essential tool um, that they have to have going forward to then be successful once they get to college. Yeah, I mean, in my, obviously I got in college the the content that I learned, but I think something else that I learned how to do just creating a project and looking at, okay, where's, where's the end of this project? This, this is an 18 month thing that I have to do. Let me work back and figure out what I have to do this whole time to, to be able to get this done on time. And you have to self-manage like that in college. And a lot of times there's this big jump from the teachers helping you a lot and you not having to think about it on your own. And then, you know, then there's this this breakdown. But aside from the content I learned in college, that was one of the other things that I learned how to do because there's nobody there to make sure that you're up for class or whatever. So yeah, I think, you know, and I think that's one thing that people sometimes, again, in the entrepreneur world, there's a lot of people who are successful without a college degree. And you can absolutely do that. You can absolutely learn those skills outside of of school, but that is one benefit of, of being college educated, that it does create that environment where you have to work on those skills. Absolutely. And I think if I wish there would be a, someone that would tell, could tell students on a regular basis, once you get to college, it's different. It's independent study. It's you're creating original thought. You're not taking other people's ideas and synthesizing them. You are coming up with your own original thought. That's one of the expectations of your college experience. You're expected to do the studying and reading on on your own. Um, One of the hardest classes I ever had in college, uh, there there was no homework. There were no tests. There was no midterm. There was no project. Um, It was an international economics class. Uh, We had an enormous amount of reading that we had to do, but there was only a final. And you came and sat for that final and wrote for three hours. And there was one question on the final. So talk about having to really 
want to dive in and know that topic or that subject on your own um, and being having to be curious about that learning process for that subject. Um, some students think, oh, it's great not to have yeah. <laughs> or no tests. And I would say it's the opposite. Um, those, those are tests, those are touch points along the way to confirm knowledge. Um, and you get that in high school. They they are usually there's a rigorous testing process and homework process that disappears or can disappear in college, but it's not necessarily easier. Um, so it's that's one thing that kind of that high school to college transition. Um, it's something that some I think I wish I could infuse or really help students understand while they're still in high school. Yeah, I wonder how many students in that class waited until the night before and tried to cram. <laughs> yeah, and and again because of the amount of reading for the class, back to we're looped back around to reading. Yeah, um, because of the amount of reading for that class, you couldn't have. There was yeah no way you could have read all those books r- the night before the test. So, yeah, I um, think if you're a person who's motivated by the deadline instead of motivated by wanting to do things in advance, you definitely need to set up some external accountability <laughs> to stay on track. And I love your, your backing, into, backing into it because you do have to do that, don't you? You have to kind of go, go backwards sometimes with the planner to, to figure out what you have to be doing on a Yeah, on a, exactly. I think, yeah, I found that, that sometimes when kids are having a hard time with, well, people in general, but when they're having a hard time with, with the planning, it's that they're starting from the beginning and going forward. And if they're, you're having a hard time, you might have to do it the other way around where it's, okay, what's, what does done look like? Let's go backwards. So yeah, that's really important. I used to do some consulting with um, doctoral and master's level students who were finishing their thesis or their dissertation. And even, even in college that there was a jump there where there's still in some classes, some kind of, uh, you know, mini deadlines throughout the way. And then you're Mm -hmm. really on your own when you're doing a dissertation Mm -hmm. and you're usually an adult who has a life and maybe a job. And that Mm -hmm. is, there's, I think still about 50% of people finish their, all of their doctoral coursework and then don't finish their dissertation. It just makes me think of that, that a lot of times it's just having to manage those deadlines. And, and I think that we can do that on many, you know, just make it gradually more difficult over time from elementary school to middle school, Mm -hmm. high school. I mean, I think that's really what we're talking about here is that. So if you do have a, somebody who does eventually go on to get an advanced degree, they've had all of this practice so that when they get there, they're successful. Absolutely. Very, very well said. It's a, a, you learn new skills as you go along the way and refine those skills as you go and practice those skills as you go and you get more and more proficient as you, as you go. Yeah. So, um, so there's a, some, some language that's commonly used at the elementary or, or even just the early childhood level that kind of, it kind of expands up and up through K-12, but this concept teaching and parenting being child led and and I have heard this terminology used in a way that I don't necessarily agree with but when you think of something being you know parenting being child led what does that mean to you well I know there are certainly our Montessori programs where yeah, the, yeah. the child uh, is the one that decides where they want to go deep 
Um, but I do think um, personally, you, you need to have exposure to a lot of different things before you know uh, or decide what it is you want to go deep in. Yeah. So I think being able to, I think in the book, I say do stuff um, kind of in their middle school, high school years, uh, you need to be doing lots of different things initially to find out what it is that makes your heart fly. Yeah. Find out what it is that you want to go deep in. And uh, it's not just, I, I think I would refine it. It's not just do stuff, but do hard stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and to be proud of yourself for doing hard stuff. And so it's, to me, being child-led as you get older and know what it is that you want to go deep into, that makes sense to me. But if you do that, I think too early, the child may not even know what the options are yet. Yeah. So I, I think it's important to, to know what, what it is um, that, that you might be choosing, choosing from, that you can choose from before you choose. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree because even with little things like, like food, I mean, kids haven't tasted a lot of food. They haven't acquired taste for a lot of things. They don't even know all of the options out there. And that has been my, one of my biggest objections to the way that that term is used. The way that I think, the way that I interpret it is we, we provide exposure and opportunities, but then we're in tune to how the child is responding to those opportunities. And then, you know, if they seem to like something, then we can make it child-led and that we are providing more opportunities for them to pursue those interests because they can certainly indicate what they're interested in. But I think if we make it all child-led, then they're going to miss out on opportunities, as, as you've said. And I think that sometimes people don't like that idea of, well, you know, you know, you could think of it as an extreme on the other side where it's, oh, well, everybody in the family is doctors, you know, they're all doctors. So you're going to be a doctor of, you know, of course that's, yeah. they may, and genetically they may then be more, you know, they may have more analytic skills and that certainly mm-hmm. could, could be the case, but analytic skills too can be applied in a lot of different areas. Yeah. So, um, you know, certainly if there's a, a, a special skill, a genetic skill within a family, um, that's something to know. Right. Um, but you know, I, 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 uh, I just think you need to, to have that exposure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think with the exposure thing, sometimes in a way you're kind of doing kids a disservice by assuming they're not going to be good at something when you haven't even given them a chance. So. Absolutely. And the other thing is just every, what I, I have three daughters, they are like night and all three of them are like night and day. They're all so, so different and have so many different gifts and skills. Um, again, my oldest daughter, uh, incredible uh, analytic skills. She actually worked for the Jet Propulsion Lab of NASA. Um, my middle daughter has uh, business sense, amazing business sense, um, was a fabulous athlete. My youngest daughter had the ver- all the verbal skills. She actually worked uh, was uh, for ESPN um, for a while uh, in charge of one of their websites there. So every child has a different um, kind of combination of skills that they get from their parents and from their exposures. Um, so it's at some point you have to know that and listen to what they're interested in. But I think when they're young, you've my thought as a parent is you're you're trying to help them bring that forth. You're trying to help them find what that thing is. Yeah. So when you have kids who do have kind of a restricted range of interests, what's a way that you can shift that and kind of acknowledge that they have an interest in something, whether it be, you know, maybe they like 
to be on Instagram and post beautiful pictures, or they like to, they like gaming. If they're showing an interest in something, but you'd like to expand it, but still acknowledge what they are showing an interest in, what's a way that you can kind of help them branch out to something that is similar, but, but still a broader, you know, thing that they could explore. I love the gaming example because I've worked with many students who, uh, when asked, what do you do outside of school, will tell me that they're involved with games. Mm -hmm. Um, Another direction to go with that is, wow, uh, the Vibretti School of Engineering at USC has a great summer program for high school students where they learn how to code for video games. Mm -hmm. So you in the same direction, it's in the same field, but it's on the other side of the screen. So just looking for other things maybe related to that interest area that you, that you can expand. The same thing, graphic arts, if you have a student that's very interested in fashion and posting and there's a yeah. whole wonderful world out there in kind of the graphic arts area or in advertising or um, so just taking that kernel of interest and again, letting them see, exposing them uh, to other, other opportunities that might be out there. And yeah. it could be even at the community uh, in high school, there are lots of community college classes that are different than what a student may be able to take while they're in high school. Um, but it's classes, it, let's say they're interested in um, uh, oceanography, and it's not a class I offered at their high school, um, then there might be something they could take uh, during the summer at their community at the community college. Um, or to get uh, uh, certified, Patty certified to be, uh, you know, scuba diving. Um, or but there, there are lots of different things. Or if there's a local aquarium, having them work at the aquarium. But just if they start to have that interest area, really help them go deep um, mm-hmm. and read about it, learn about it, teach it, um, create within it um, so that they can really get that, that deeper dive. Yeah. I love that example of the the coding and and the gaming and or even just with the graphic design and marketing because those are some things that I thought of as well. I liked that you gave that gaming example because mm-hmm. I think that's a common one that comes up and I think sometimes people don't realize you know you could still you could still work with that and and do this other thing here that could give you some more options. This uh, this has been really helpful. I think. if people are interested in working with you or learning more about what you do, where can they go? So I do have a website. It's uh, www.parentsareyouready.com. Uh, there, there's a list of services um, that, I, that I provide. I can do college admissions coaching. I do interview coaching. I uh, have a book that's available. I do speaking engagements. Um, so there, uh, there's also a workbook that accompanies the book that's in process. So that's a great place. You can email me directly. Um, you can see some of the services that are available. Um, I'm also, you can follow me on, um, on Twitter and uh, LinkedIn, Kim Duckworth. Also, then I have the book, Parents, Are You Ready? Uh, the Practical Guide to Launching a S- Successful High School Student that's available um, on Amazon. And uh, we currently have 36 five-star reviews. I'm very excited about that. And uh, also can be ordered from Barnes & Noble. Great. So as you said, kind of the the on-ramp starts about middle school. So that's about the age that you could potentially start working with a student. Absolutely. Yes. 
And when is the workbook coming out? Because after reading the book, I thought, hmm, that workbook sounds interesting. So when will that be ready? Um, Hopefully it will be ready um, uh, by the end of the second quarter. Great. Well, I will definitely be taking a look at it. So thank you so much for joining me today. This was really helpful. Well, thank you again. Thank you so much for having me on. I think you're providing a very important communication service. Thank you. again for listening to the Are They 18 Yet podcast. Remember to check the show notes to learn more about where you can connect with Kim and get more information about what she does. And then also remember to check the show notes for the ultimate guide to sentence structure, which can also give you a guide to help build kids' vocabulary skills, specifically the skills that have to do with understanding sentence structure. To get that guide, again, that's drkarenspeech.com backslash sentence structure, and that will just outline all of the essential skills that kids need in order to have a solid sense of syntax. Again, that's drkarenspeech.com backslash sentence structure. Thank you so much for listening, and I will see you in the next episode. simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, improve students' performance on state assessments without just teaching to the test, you can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com backslash BE to learn how IXL's research-based teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com backslash BE. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into the master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flex time without the common challenges. Its intuitive design makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit MyFlexLearning.com backslash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's MyFlexLearning.com backslash BE.